It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Pension or property? As the cost of living increases, it's getting harder for younger workers to do one, let alone both. I feel like we're going through this really patchy period, and so I'm just left thinking, well, what, what's the right thing What's the right thing to do? Sound familiar? 28-year-old Ashley is feeling pretty uncertain about his financial future, and judging by the messages that you all send me, he's definitely not alone. And I also hold some crypto, and that's gone down a lot, and I'm thinking all this stuff is going down. And all my outgoings are going up, and it's a tough spot. He works in tech, and he's sharing a flat with friends in East London, but dreams of being able to buy his own place one day. I think I live what you might think is perhaps a typical millennial lifestyle, whatever that is. Um, You know, doing all those normal things and um, increasingly getting more uh, interested and taking more care about kind of my finances. Ashley contacted Money Clinic because, like a lot of people his age, he's faced with some difficult investment decisions in a world emerging from a pandemic, with inflation at levels not seen for decades and volatility returning to world stock markets. I'm seeing reports every day of something which sounds really alarming. You know, whether that's to do with inflation being at record levels or whether that's um, taxation going up, national insurance going up, energy bills rising, um, the value of investments all going down. Like, it's, it's hard to not feel concerned when you're getting this constant barrage of reports. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. In this episode, we're going to look at how the rising cost of living is affecting our ability to make the spending, saving and investing choices we want to. Is there any point in putting money aside for a property deposit when prices are so high? Or is it wiser to invest your hard-earned cash in stocks and shares, even though prices have been falling? And how do you square either of those with saving for retirement? We'll hear from two experts who'll look at the dilemmas Ashley and others like him are facing, and they'll explain what the options might be. I'm not predicting a house pricing crash, but I don't think anyone wants to be in a rush to buy a property right now. Actually, this is brilliant for anyone who doesn't own a house. My guess is, bide your time, cash is king, 
it's kind of where we've been for the last decade. And I suppose my fear about the pandemic is it may just have extended that period even further and therefore created more problems for young people. The first Money Clinic episode of this series was packed with tips about budgeting and making your money stretch further to cover rising food and energy costs. In this episode, we're going to concentrate on developing a long-term financial strategy in the face of short-term financial fluctuations. First, let's hear more from Ashley, who came into the FT studio to tell me all about his money worries. Have you noticed the effects of inflation in your own life? I mean, are what what are you noticing the price of going up in your in your day-to-day expenditure? Certainly food. Um and you do feel it when you go to the supermarkets. I mean, when you're picking out individual products, perhaps not. But when you get to the checkout, you do think, oh, gosh, you know, that's that's a lot. So, you know, I am starting to feel it. And I'm also, you know, seeing the value of a lot of my assets um, diminishing. So I have um, investments in uh, stocks and shares and stocks and shares I earn. Well done. Um but I've seen those go down. And I also hold within that portfolio um, some tech stocks, which have all gone down significantly. And I hold it through um, Scottish Mortgage. So I'm not directly holding them, but the, the value has gone down a lot. And I also hold some crypto and that's gone down a lot. And I'm thinking all this stuff is going down and all my outgoings are going up. And it's a tough spot. What would he like his money to be working towards? Well, I'm desperate to get on the property ladder. It's it's well, something my, my parents would, would love for me. But at the moment, it just feels like a distant dream in a way. I, I, I struggle to envisage any scenario where in the next five years, I would be able to purchase a, a flat in the location and the type of property that I wanted um, on my own. Um, you know, my income is, is I'd say, Typical of somebody my age, it's, it's you know forty five thousand pound a year. Now, if we're talking mortgages four times that, we're still not anywhere close to really a, a flat in in a London. That's that's half decent. That salary would get Ashley a mortgage of about one hundred eighty thousand pounds, but frankly, that's not going to get him anything more than a garage somewhere in the depths of southeast London if he's lucky. Like millions of others. Ashley started investing in the stock market during lockdown as he had some spare cash. But that's not all. Well, I came into a lump sum of cash as well. Um, so I was, my father sold his business and I was listed as a, as a director. And so I received a percentage of the, the sale value. I mean, it was a small business, but I still got a lump sum, um, about £30,000 from that. So then I thought, well, now I've got this lump sum. I want to protect it and I want to grow it. But at the moment, with all these other conditions, I'm, I feel like I'm not really capable of, of doing that. We'll talk more about that windfall in a moment. But as you know, I always like to check that people who have started investing have also got an emergency fund. I do, yes. So I have just money sitting sitting in a, um, a cash savings account. Um, really, I mean, the interest rate is 00 one percent so i mean it really is just cash that doesn't do anything and actually one thing which i've been increasingly thinking about is well if inflation is is at this level you know as as time goes on i'm losing spending power so is it still the right thing to do to be holding money in cash like that the investment 
decisions that you've made with this pot of money from your dad. Are you thinking that in the future you could convert that pot of money into um, cash that you would use to buy a property at some point, or are you thinking that you'll leave that as an investment for the for the long term? Well, it's a very good question because it's something which I am not clear on. Should that money basically stay there for as long as it possibly can? Or is there a point where I can say, right, it's performed quite nicely. Perhaps I can take some out and actually spend it. So to recap, Ashley's ultimate goal is to buy a property. He's come into a lump sum, but on his own, it's not enough to get him on the ladder. So he's invested it in a stocks and shares ISA, only to see that fall in value. When it comes to buying a property, one thing that could really move the needle is how much Ashley's earnings might increase in future, as this will increase how much he can borrow. Are you the kind of person who would describe himself as, you know, career-minded, ambitious, you know, you'll work all the hours God sends in order to get the deal done, get the pay rise, win new clients, you know, further your way up the the, the greasy pole of, of corporate life? Or are you the kind of person who would be satisfied with earning so much but wants to have more of your life outside of work to do things that you love? Oh, God, it's a bit of both, I suppose. I am certainly career-minded, but I also I'm not so much to an extent where I'm prepared to, you know, be burning the midnight oil or, or you know every night just so I can earn the money um, I do really value having kind of my own life outside of work what does Ashley want to ask our experts what is the best strategy for putting myself in the strongest possible position to try and purchase a property given the market that we're currently facing and what strategies should I be thinking about to whether the near-term kind of financial kind of shocks in the market, so inflation, how do I protect the value of the cash that I have? Should I be thinking about savings differently given the cost of living has gone up? So should I perhaps look to reduce the amounts I save or, or, or amend my lifestyle based on the cost of living at the moment? Before I'd even finished chatting to Ashley, I had decided who the perfect expert would be to tackle these dilemmas. I'm Jason Butler, and I'm a former financial advisor. I was a financial advisor for 25 years until seven years ago. In my early 20s, I was a complete money disaster, up to my eyes in debt, couldn't control my spending, uh, didn't have a clue about investing. You name it, I was absolutely a disaster. And now I work because I want to, not because I have to, because I have enough money and other assets working for me. So I'm not the sultan of an eye, but I've been on a journey from zero to hero. What lessons has that journey taught Jason that he could pass on to Ashley? So what I'd say to Ashley and any young person who's a bit overwhelmed and thinking they're never going to achieve whatever it is that their parents achieved or what they see other people achieving financially is um, every journey starts with a single step. What you want is general directions. Would I, would I like to own my own house eventually? Um, would I like to run a business? Do I want to kind of keep working for a long time into my 70s? Or do I like the idea of just being a free agent when I'm younger? Jason's right to focus on the bigger picture but as property prices rise, so many millennials are facing the same dilemma as Ashley. Should they save for a deposit in cash or invest it in stocks? As Ashley has found, both are going down in value. What are Jason's thoughts 
What we've had in the last 10, 12 years, a whole generation of people who don't know what normal interest rates are. In the early 90s, when I bought my first flat, I paid £62,000 for it. And my mortgage doubled in the space of 14 months. My mortgage repayments doubled because interest rates went up to 15%. Now, we're not going to go to that level, I don't think, but we certainly are looking at continual increases in interest rates. Now, that will do one of three things. Okay. It will certainly slow down future house price growth because people just haven't got the ability to come up with unlimited amounts of money because the cost of borrowing is going to go up. The second thing is people have got less money coming in because both the cost of living of normal living costs and um, tax rises means they've got less take-home pay even if they're on the same money. And the third thing is that prices of properties are exorbitantly at an all-time high on every single measure you can imagine. Now, what does that tell you? Now, I'm not predicting a house pricing crash, but I don't think anyone wants to be in a rush to buy a property right now. Actually, this is brilliant for anyone who doesn't own a house. My guess is, bide your time, cash is king. Why should Ashley feel like it's a brilliant time? The point here is, if you're a young person, bide your time. I think things are moving in your direction. So what I would say to Ashley is stop the stocks and shares, stop anything speculative, maximise your income and start piling away cash. Yes, it's going to lose money relative to inflation in the short term, but if property prices um, start falling 10, 15 or even 20 percent, stock markets falling, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent, that's quite possible, um, then that's going to be good for him. First-time buyers like Ashley need to consider a lot of factors. As Jason says, stock markets can be volatile places in the short term. Okay, the value of cash is being eroded by inflation, but there's a risk you could lose even more money if your investments plunge in value. And while the stock market is your best chance of growing the value of your investments over the medium to long term, Jason has this important caveat. Remember, when the value of anything is at an all-time high, the expected long-term return is at an all-time low. So we're looking at investments. We're probably looking at the next 10 years, the expected return on equities to be probably near to zero after inflation, if you're lucky. We're probably looking at house growth, price growth probably being well less than 3%, probably less than inflation, because it's, it's, it's at a level now where it just doesn't make any sense. Now, look, I could be wrong, but knowing what I know and being through life, I think cash is a great place to be, regardless of the short-term situation with inflation. When the economy suddenly slows down and if and when we move into a slowdown or a recession, then inflation drops like a, uh, like a boulder. For now, would-be buyers like Ashley need to make sure that their pay moves ahead or keeps pace with inflation. Hence why I was asking him about how ambitious he was. Here are Jason's thoughts. What I would suggest that Ashley and all people in his situation focus on is your single biggest wealth-creating tool is your ability to earn money um, from employment, self-employment, side hustles, whatever it is you do for your time. So your trading time um, for money. I would focus on, is he really maximising his career, his ability to earn his income, first of all? Has he got the right experience? Are there qualifications he can take? Uh, are there things he can do to make himself more valuable? Is he really squeezing the most out of his employment or earnings situation? Because your ability to earn money is your biggest wealth creation tool. For more tips, listen to our previous episode, How to Ask for a Pay Rise and Get One. There's a link in today's show notes. As well as saving up for a property, 28-year-old Ashley also wonders how much, if anything, he should be setting aside for retirement. Jason was very pleased to hear he's paying into the company pension scheme. 
if the employer's putting contributions in equal to or higher than the government amounts that they have to do by law, then that should be your first port of call. As far as I'm concerned, my view is that if you've got an adequate emergency fund, if you've got enough, have uh, got rid of all your non-mortgage debt, then you should be making sure you build up to, you don't have to be there straight away, build up to probably putting 10 or 15% of your earnings away into designated long-term retirement that is not for houses, is not for other things, because it's just forcing you to do that. And look at it as a tax. Look at it as a tax rate. Plus, Jason suggests another kind of investment he could make for the future. It's never been easier to start a business. It's never been easier to do research. It's never been easier to create money off of the internet. It's never been easier to collaborate with people. It's never been easier to raise money for a business. And that's something that young people have to focus on. Our next expert is going to help us find out a bit more about the bigger picture. Paul Johnson is one of the UK's top economists. But the reason I asked him to come on Money Clinic is because he's also one of the most human. He's the director of the Institute of Fiscal Studies. You've probably seen him on the news explaining what's going on in the wider economy and how that translates to our day-to-day lives. And he's especially concerned about how it's all affecting young people. So, Paul, I'm going to start off by asking you, would you really want to be 28 years old again? Well, I'd love to be 28 again for many reasons associated with my decrepit body as a 55-year-old. Um, but I don't think that's quite why you're asking me that uh, that question. Um, it's certainly the case uh, that um, things are economically harder for 28-year-olds today than they were 27 years ago um, when I was 28. Um, the most remarkable thing is that they're not earning much more um, than they were a generation ago, a bit more, but really not very much. By complete contrast with what happened in the generations um, before that, much, much harder to get onto the housing ladder. And of course, huge uncertainty about the future when it comes to savings and pensions and indeed where careers are going. So whilst I'd love to be 28 again, um, I think this is probably a tougher environment to grow up as a 28-year-old than three decades ago. Today's 28-year-olds have also lived through something their parents never had to deal with at that age, a global pandemic. Has that been overwhelmingly bad news for this generation's financial situation? Well, I mean, the surprising thing is that it hasn't made things as much worse as I think I certainly feared a year or 18 months ago. You look back 18 months and it really was young people who were struggling uh, in the labour market. Most of that, remarkably, um, has actually gone away. But um, two issues facing them, I think. One is that uh, earnings, yet again in real terms, are lower than they were uh, a couple of years ago. But more importantly, I think, has been the extension of very low interest rates Of course, low interest rates have been great for mortgage borrowers, but they've also helped to massively push up the price of property, as well as other assets like shares, and with it, the value of older people's pensions. Paul explains how the measures that central banks around the world have taken to cushion the economic blows dealt by the pandemic have benefited older generations, but made it much harder for younger ones. The huge increase in asset prices that we're seeing at the moment. So the stock markets around the world have done staggeringly well, considering we've just had a global pandemic. And of course, the housing market in the UK is yet again on a fast upward 
trend. So it it just isn't stopping, is it? Well, I mean, I'm. It doesn't seem to be. I'm making absolutely no predictions about the future, but um, it, it really doesn't seem to be. So, in a sense, what what where, where we are is it's kind of where we've been for the last decade, but extended. So, ultra low interest rates, ultra high asset prices, um, at best, stagnant real wages. And I suppose my fear about the pandemic is it may just have extended that period even even further and therefore created more problems for young people, particularly when it comes to the accumulation of assets. Against this challenging backdrop, come April, younger workers like Ashley are also facing plenty of short-term cost pressures. There certainly are. Um, I mean, a number of pressures on incomes of younger people. The increase in national insurance contributions, 1.25% increase, which for someone on average earnings of about £30,000 a year is a £250 a year hit. Um, Clearly, if you're paying electricity and gas bills and so on, you're several hundred pounds a year worse off as a result of that. That's obviously not just about young people by any means. Uh, And the freezing of the threshold beyond which you start to repay your student loan. So that's effectively a small um, tax increase. Um, And we've also uh, having, of course, the freezing of the uh, income tax personal allowance, um, which means it's not going up in line with prices or earnings, which means more of your income will be taxed going forward and put all that together with pay, which isn't going up in line with prices. And yes, there are a lot of pressures on the incomes of people of working age in general, Jason Butler was very much of the view that young people should focus all of their energy on increasing their income. Although Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England governor, hit the headlines recently when he suggested that people shouldn't ask for a pay rise. What does Paul think? There's several things to say here. One is that, um, I mean, the Bank of England governor put his point rather awkwardly. What he was saying is that if pay rises are high everywhere, um, then that can have an effect pushing up inflation into the future. So you understood his concern. If you do want a pay rise, probably the best way of getting it is to move jobs, uh, actually. People who move jobs do seem to see more in the way of pay increases than those that don't. And this is looking increasingly important, actually. So if your current company won't give you a pay rise, then you might want to think about looking um, elsewhere, as indeed um, you know, we are seeing a lot of churn in the labour market at the moment, post-pandemic. When it comes to policy, how the politicians um, might help young people, would you agree with the view that successive governments have tended to favour the needs of the older generation over that of the younger ones? Yes, I think they have. And I think, you know, going back to this issue of interest rates, which I think is really important in understanding all of this, one of the problems has been that the Since 2008, since the financial crash, we've had the lowest interest rates we've literally had in the whole of history. I don't just mean in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, in the last 300 years, we've had lower interest rates than ever. Now, you might think that's a very good thing. Um, If you get a mortgage, then you don't have to pay very much interest on it. But it had a couple of really serious effects. One was that because um, uh, interest rates uh, were lower, the price of a house, for example, but also of um, stocks and shares, rose. So if you already were an owner of these things, houses and stocks and shares, you benefited. 
Um, if you weren't, then the cost of getting onto that housing ladder of buying those stocks and shares rose. And that has favoured dramatically people who had assets, owned a house, had a pension, what have you, back in 2008 or 2010 at the expense of younger people who in the whole don't have those assets. And many may well find themselves significantly worse off than their parents' generation. Which brings us back to the dilemma. Property or pension? To end on a slightly more positive note, recent research that Paul's team has carried out at the IFS has explored the impact of saving less for retirement while you're in your 20s and 30s, and then making up for it by saving more in your 40s, 50s and beyond. It's not completely daft to wait until you're in your 50s to really start saving um, for your pension. You, you sort it out, you know, when you sort out the kids and the mortgage and so on, you're probably earning more than you were previously. You've got a huge amount more scope to save uh, than when you're in your 20s and 30s. I, I mean, it's also worth saying, of course, I mean, first of all, that there are risks with that. Um, you know, it's not that uncommon to uh, not, not be able to work beyond 55, for example, because of um, either you know, not being able to find a job at the same level that you perhaps were used to before, or um, as a result of sickness, illness, or um, disability. Uh, but it's also worth you know throwing into the mix here that some people um, can expect once they hit 50 or 60 or beyond substantial inheritance inheritances, and so some people can probably rely to some extent on that for um, income in later life. And of course, some people can't. And that, I think, is a huge and growing division, actually, in, uh, in, in the expectations of young people and in what will impact on their behaviour. Lots of takeaways from our experts, Paul Johnson and Jason Butler. But what does Ashley make of what they have to say? Jason first. Well, Ashley, thanks for coming back to the FT studio. You've listened to what Jason Butler had to say. Some quite controversial points, I could see, um, <laughs> by the look on your face when you were listening to him. What did you make of what he had to say? Well, there was a few things there that did really surprise me, actually. I think when he said, you know, stop the stocks and shares, stop trying to um, create passive income or do all these other things which you kind of read about as what sensible investments, that kind of surprised me and the fact that he said that cash should be the focus when everything I read is saying no cash is losing spending power day by day get out of cash um that was a, a completely different take but it does make sense but it is surprising if you think about your goal of buying a property Jason's point is if that's what you really want to be doing in the next five, six, seven years, then cash would probably make more sense for a first-time buyer to be hoarding um, than taking a risk on investments just because of what's happening all around us. You can't rely on the stock market going up in the same way that it has done in, in previous years. But if your goal is not to buy a property, then obviously that could all that could all change. Yeah. No, and that that does make perfect sense. Um I do want to be able to buy a property and ultimately I need to have cash available in liquid form in order to to place a deposit. So maintaining a cash reserve and building that up, I definitely agree, should be a focus. The other advice he had was the biggest lever that 
you can pull is upping your earnings power. What did you think about that? Yeah, well, that's something I, which again, I do agree with and I'm, I'm very aware of. But there is also a trade-off there between going after a, a job just because of its pay um, above, you know, is this really the right place for you? Mm. But I was also interested to hear that there are other methods of generating income aside from your your main employment and things like you know side hustles or um making money on the internet or just finding other kind of enterprising initiatives mm. well all good food for thought in one note of caution to what jason said i mean yes it's never been easier to connect with people online who could help you to launch a business but obviously be very very careful of scams now, shall we move on to Paul Johnson's comments now? I have to say, <laughs> I'm really sorry, overwhelmingly quite depressing, but young people are in a much more difficult situation than older generations. So what stood out for you? You know, I, I agree. I, I think the main thing is around the amount that people earn. You know, and I speak to my mum and I tell her how much I earn and she says, well, I wasn't earning that much less than you at your age and that was 40 odd years ago. And, you know, that is something which is really difficult because the cost of living is just so much higher. So we have have less money to play with and we need to be wiser about kind of how we place it. So, I mean, that really does stand out to me. How do you feel about saving less into a pension while you're young in order to get on the property ladder and then catching up in, in later life? It's definitely a strategy I would consider. It was interesting to hear that actually you can be in your 50s and only then turn your attention to your pension. I do think that is a bit of a risky strategy. But um, yes, I think it does make sense to review how I'm saving money each month and where that's going if cash is really going to be what I need to unlock my shorter term goal. So I definitely food for thought there. What do you think you'll do differently with your finances after being on Money Clinic? <laughs> well, I think I've got a lot of um, a lot of thinking to do. Really, try and take more of a forensic look at where I'm spending my money. Um, having a think around what are the right places to be putting it, whether it should be in savings or whether it should be into investment products. And I actually think what I've taken from this experience is having a much clearer timeline and having a much clearer plan laid out ahead gives you the confidence to go and make certain decisions that you might have been nervous about making previously. That's it for Money Clinic this week. Here's a sneak preview of what's to come next week. I can get no company pension Freelance working is causing tension And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try Wondering why I'm belting that out? Well, tune in next week to find out. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me. Our address is money at ft.com or DM me on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok. I'm at Claire B. 
Money Clinic was produced and edited in London by Persis Love. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. <laughs>